0: The text for this morning's message will be found in Romans chapter 8. So turn there, if you would, in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick up our our sermon series back in this wonderful book. One of those books that is magnificent. It's miles deep, yet written so that we can understand it and uh, relate to it as God reveals His wonderful truth to us. Romans chapter 8. Actually, our Our text is going to be verse 1 through verse 4 of chapter 8, but I want to back up into chapter 7 and verse 21 to get a context for what we'll be speaking about this morning. So we're going to read Romans 7 verse 21 through Romans 8 verse 4. So follow along if you would as I read Romans chapter 7 verse 21. Paul speaking here says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day, for the many blessings you've given us. I again thank you for the mothers that are present here and the sacrifice that they have given and all that they have led their families in, Lord. I ask your blessings upon them this morning. I ask also that you would help to clear our minds as we come to the preaching hour, that your word might stand clear, you might stand forth from your word, All distractions would be removed and that you would draw our hearts and our minds closer to you. You do the work that only you can do and help me to say the things that you would have said. I I ask for your help in this. I ask for your blessing in this message. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a few weeks have passed since we've been here and... uh, We kind of need to back up sometimes, because sometimes when you're going through a book like this, you can get so focused on where you're at, you forget where you've been. And we need to understand how we got here in chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a huge chapter, right? Probably one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. There's things we quote from it, verse 1 or verse 28 or even verse 17. There's a lot of things there that we quote and that we know, but we've got to understand how we got there, what Paul's talking about. So if I could take just a few minutes this morning and kind of recap what Romans has been about, I think it will benefit us. Romans is a book about the gospel. Paul makes that very clear in the beginning when he says in Romans 1 and 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is setting out to explain the gospel, what it is, why we need it, what it does, and how we live in light of it. And he spends all of Romans doing that. It's a very in-depth explanation. In fact, the gospel was a major focus of Paul's preaching, wasn't it? Does not he tell the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the most important message that Paul could speak by his own words. And it is the most important message that we can hear and the most important message that we can speak. The Gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. Nothing else saves us but the Gospel. And it is the power of God to everyone who believes because everyone needs it. You don't stand outside your need for the gospel. Every one of us needs the gospel. We need to be saved. We need to hear of our sin. We need to hear of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for sin. It doesn't matter who we are. And Paul goes through chapter 1 and chapter 2 to tell us that. It doesn't matter if you're a worldly person living in the world, just doing whatever you want. It doesn't matter if you think you're religious or if you come from a religious background. It doesn't matter. Everyone needs the gospel. In fact, that's that's what it means when it says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To those who might know some things about God or to those who know nothing about God, everyone needs the gospel. Paul goes on to tell us in Romans chapter 3 just how bad it is. You know these verses as it is written. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. That is descriptive of man's sinful human nature. We're not inherently righteous. You ever think of so-and-so and and say, oh, they're a good person. They could never harm a fly. Well, that's not what the Bible says about us. There may be people who are worse, (laughs) but there is none who is inherently good. There is none who is inherently righteous. In fact, we don't seek God after our own volition. In fact, we go away from Him. Romans 3.23, you know that verse. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is man's nature. That is man's sinful condition. So yes, we need the gospel. That's what Paul starts in this book by telling us. Everyone needs the gospel. Because all have sinned, Right? Now, maybe you know what sin is. Maybe you don't. Sin is when we go against what God has told us to do. Even if we think it's good. Moms, you know how that is. You tell the kids to clean their room. Do they always clean their room? No. You have to go in there usually, tell them three or four times, or enforce it with physical punishment, whatever it is. But you know the sin nature of man because you see it in your kids. Now, what what happens if you tell your kids to clean the room and then they go take out the trash, but they don't clean the room? And they say, Mommy, look, I took out the trash. Mommy, look, I dusted. Mommy, look, I did this and did that. But did you clean your room because I asked you to clean your room? Well, no. doesn't matter if you do other things. If you don't do what the command is, that is sin. And we have broken God's commandment. Even if we try to go around and do other things that might impress God, if we have broken God's commandment, we stand guilty for that. That is sin. Maybe it's doing things or maybe it's not doing what God has told us to do. You know, the Bible says some things like don't lie. Thou shalt not lie or that we should love God with all of our heart and all of our soul. We should love him with everything that we are or we should love our neighbor. It tells us we should not covet or we shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. It tells us a lot of things that God wants us to do. And every time we break those commandments by either... Doing the opposite or not doing what he told us to do, it's sin. It's sin. And that sin separates us from God. Our sin, our failure, has separated us from God. And in fact, now we have to answer for it. Romans 3 tells us that every mouth may be stopped, like you can't say anything back, every mouth be quieted, and the whole world stand guilty before God. We are all guilty of sin. We are all guilty of breaking God's law. And we stand accountable to Him for that. In fact, we face His wrath for it. You do this morning if you are still in sin. Just as I did. Just as everyone does. All have sinned, all have to answer. Now, Paul doesn't leave it there in Romans 3. In fact, he he goes on to tell us that God has provided the way that we might be reconciled to God. Our sin, our failure to be obedient, our willful choices against what God has told us has separated us. The relationship has died. We are born, as the Scripture says, spiritually dead. Doesn't Ephesians 2 tell us that? You are dead in trespasses and sins. And you are the children of wrath, and His wrath abides on you. It's not a good place to be in. That's a dangerous place to be in. And we can't do anything to reconcile that on ourselves. We can't even not lie. How do, you expect to save? How do we expect to save ourselves? We can't even keep a simple command like, Don't eat this fruit. Right? That's what happened in Eden. We couldn't even do something simple like that. How do we think we're going to save ourselves or do enough righteous works or give enough money? No, it's not the case. We need to be reconciled back to God and God provides that way. Here's what Romans 3, 24 and 25 says. Being justified freely. Now that's a big word. Don't get tripped up on it. You know what justified means? Being declared not guilty. Being made righteous. We can be declared not guilty. We can be forgiven. We can be made righteous freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be the propitiation. Another big word. Don't get tripped up on it. It just means the sacrifice that does the job. It's only Christ. Only Christ can reconcile us, and God sets him forth to be the sacrifice through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. All that to say, yes, we are sinners. Yes, we are dead in our sins. We have fallen short. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter your family background, doesn't matter. Um, If you think you're religious or not, we are all sinners, fallen short of the glory of God. We need someone to save us, and God sends the Savior we need. God sent His own Son as the sacrifice for sin. And by the way, that's all of sin. Some people think, well, you know, I've done so much bad, you can't even imagine. I would turn your ears red just telling you, Christ's blood is greater than our sin. All of sin, your sin. You see, in Jesus, by placing your faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven for all of your sin, and you can be made righteous. In Jesus, we are justified. Made not guilty, we are reconciled to God. It's not by doing good works, it's not by church attendance, it's not by giving money, it's not by being famous, it's not from your family. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Romans make that very clear. Listen to Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We who were once sinners, we who were at enmity with Him because of our own sin and our own fallen mind, when Christ saves us, He makes peace between us and God. Our sins are forgiven. We are made righteous in the sight of God. God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Do you know that? God commends or shows and displays His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us when we get our life right and we get some things taken care of when we bring our life before Him. He doesn't... Die for us when we've been reformed in some way. It's while we were still sinners. Still separated from Him. Still thinking other thoughts and serving other masters. And totally vile in His sight. That's when Christ died for us. To redeem us. What greater love can I tell of than the love of God? To die for us when we were still sinners. That we might be saved. You hear me say that a lot. You hear us say that a lot. You need to be saved. You need to trust in Christ and be saved. Listen, when you believe in Christ, when you have faith that He took your sin to the cross and He gave His perfect sinless blood as the payment for your sin, you have faith in that. When you confess your sins and believe, your sin is forgiven. It's taken away. It's wiped from history, cleansed, washed in the blood of the Lamb. We sing that song, don't we? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Your sins are washed away. You are delivered from sin. You are delivered from sin's consequences, which is eternity in hell. Listen, that's not a curse word, that's not a fantasy tale, that is an eternal place, a place of torment a place of pain, a place of loneliness, a place of judgment, which we deserve because we have sinned. But the moment you trust in Christ... You are delivered from that. We are redeemed. The Bible says we are born again. That dead sin nature is gone and I am made a new creation in Christ. Christ gives me brand new spiritual life. We are saved. That's what it means to be saved. To be delivered from sin. To be delivered from my old ways and my old life. I am a brand new creation in Christ. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. At the moment you trust in Jesus, He brings you from being spiritually dead in sin to being alive in Him. You're no longer hell bound and guilty. You're no longer fearing death and the next second that ticks by on the clock because you know your eternity waits. No, when you trust in Christ, you are heaven bound and justified, not guilty. That's why you hear me talk about it so much. That's why you ought to hear it from coming from the pulpits of churches. Everyone needs to be saved. Everyone needs Christ. And if you do not know Him as a personal Savior this morning, you need desperately to come to Him and trust in Him. And when you do, everything changes, right? It's a new life, isn't it? It's a brand new life with a brand new purpose. It revolves around Him and that's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 talk about. Tells us we need to be baptized and join up with His church, His body, and serve Him and give our life to Him. That's who He's talking to here. He's talking to a church. A church at Rome. In fact, He says that in Romans 1.7, Do all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. There's something special about the saints in Scripture. Those who are faithful, those who are serving Him. In fact, most of the New Testament is written to churches of that day. It's an important thing. It's where we we make a public identification and say, I'm yours, Jesus. The old life is gone. I'm going to wash it away, and now my new life is, is here with your people and your spirit and your word and serving and spreading the message. It's where we stop living the old life and live the new redeemed life. Okay. Probably most of us are familiar with that, right? We've heard the gospel. We've believed the gospel. I pray you do this morning. We've made the right choice and joined up with his church. The problem that's going to be in most of our lives is living out that life in every day. Is That is not easy. Don't let anybody say it is. If they're saying, it, they're, oh, it's so easy to live the Christian life, uh, they're not being truthful or they're not really living it themselves. Because it's hard, isn't it? It is hard to make the right choices day after day. And there are so many people that have like a Facebook view of Christianity or an Instagram view of Christianity. It's all the good and none of the bad. It's all the right filters that make you look good and, and they don't show the reality of things. Or it's just so people like you or whatever it is. People got that kind of view. That's not the way it is, man. It's hard. It's a battle. There are going to be struggles if we truly give ourselves to serve Christ. There's going to be struggles from within, like my old sin nature. It keeps popping up and trying to trip me up. It might be from without. You know the climate we live in. It's getting worse and worse and harder and harder to serve Christ. We can begin to expect struggles from without. It's not an easy thing. But it's worth our all, isn't it? It's worth every battle that we fight because we know whom we serve. We serve the one who gave his life for us and the one who will bring us home to Him someday. Chapter 7 showed us the internal battle. There's things I want to do, but I can't. And things I don't want to do, I find myself doing that. That's what Paul's talking about, man. It's hard. How do we have victory over that? And that's exactly what chapter 8 is telling us. How we have victory and live this life that God has called us to. We've already dealt with verse 1 in a previous message. There in chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Not only those who are positionally in Christ mean you've been eternally saved from sin, but those who are practically, they've got their life in the right place and they're giving their life to Him. There's no condemnation, the Scripture says. Really? No condemnation? Let's be honest, I don't always feel like that. I feel pretty crummy sometimes about the things I say and the things that I do. And I know they are not pleasing to Jesus. You know the Bible uses some pretty amazing descriptives about uh, how our lives should be? You know what it says about a pastor? A pastor is to be blameless. A deacon is to be blameless. And by the way, so are all of you. Philippians 2.14 Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Blameless? Really? (laughs) Anybody feel blameless here? Don't raise your hand because you would be lying. (laughs) We all do at some point, Right? But yet the Bible uses words like that, blameless, no condemnation. How on earth is that possible? Because to tell you the truth, sometimes I can't get out of bed without thinking wrong thoughts sometimes. I can't even get through the day without doing the wrong things. It's really hard to stay focused on Him and it's hard to stay away from those sinful thoughts. Is that really even possible? Well, yes, it is, or the Bible wouldn't say it. Chapter 8 tells us how. How do I live as Christ would have me to live? Chapter 7 tells the struggle. Chapter 8 gives the answer. Now, what we need to realize this morning and what I'd like you to focus on for the rest of this message is is a couple things. The work that Christ has done for you, He has justified you before God. Something that you could never do yourself, He has done that. You need to to realize the work that He will do in you. When you say, I can't be holy, I can't be blameless, what does Paul say in Philippians? I can do all things through who? Christ who strengthens me. And you also need to realize this morning and reckon and count as true that you are free. You are free from some things this morning. Free from some things that would dominate or control you. It has to start there. Now just by the way, that, all that was introduction. <laughs> we haven't even touched the text, but I'm not, I'm not going to be much more longer. I have two things for you to consider, and we'll consider the third next week. But these are important. We're standing on the foundation, all that God has done for us, all that He's brought into our life, and now He's telling us how to live as an example to those around about us. First thing I'd like you to notice this morning is what we are freed from. That's in verse 2. What we are freed from, Paul says here in Romans 8 and 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We have been freed from the law of sin and death, which is the master of all humanity. We are born under the rule of sin and death. We are born in bondage to it. Whether we know it or not. Now, when he says law here, he's not speaking of a written law. Now, Paul uses that term quite a bit to, to reference the law of God. When he, when he says that here, he's not talking about a, a list or rules or some written code. He's speaking of a governing principle. A reality that rules us. Like gravity. Gravity. We all know what gravity is, right? Right? Go try to fly. See if it works. I could try to do a Superman off the stage. I'll land flat on my face, right? Because of gravity. Now, there's no written law of thou shalt and thou shalt nots for gravity. But every one of us knows the law of gravity, don't we? Because it's a, it's a governing principle. We know what it's like. It, it, it affects us. It is very prominent and dominant in our lives. We could say gravity is a master, does that make sense this morning? It's a master to some sense of our life. That's the idea when he says the law of sin and death. This ruling, governing power over us. And <laughs> make no mistake, mankind is under the law of sin and death. Our sin has separated us from God and we are severed and separated and under its curse. Romans 5 tells us this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We all die because we've all sinned. That's one of the very basic rules of this law. And it is dominant, and it is oppressive. Sin rules us with an iron fist. Just look around. People get sick. They get cancer. A young man of 16, 17 years old gets cancer. Why? What has he done to deserve that? Nothing. Except sin and death rules over mankind. Why do infants pass away? Why do seemingly good people get sick and die? Why do all of us die? Even the best Quote, unquote, the best of us. Why do we die? Because we are under the law of sin and death. And it rules with an iron fist. Suffering, disease, pain, death itself, they are all visible and physical signs of its existence. There's other markers of its reign too. Just look at society and its fallenness. You know... In chapter 1, Paul writes some things as as he describes like the the Roman society around him, what he sees, what's going on, and he's also describing societies that had happened in the past. And Paul writes that some 2,000 years ago about a society at his time and society that had come before thousands of years earlier. Okay, But let me put it together in a nutshell and you see if it doesn't describe exactly what's happening today. Paul says that um, we worship the creation more than the creator. You know what we do? We come up with these fantasy tales of a big bang. Yeah, there was nothing, and all of a sudden there was something. We don't know what caused it, but something caused it. And all of these things just turned into planets, and somehow life came, and fishes crawled out of the ocean. Fish grew legs for no reason and they crawled out of the ocean and then they grew lungs and monkeys turned into men. That's what we say rather than say God created everything. We place value on an eagle's egg that contains its embryo rather than the human embryo within the womb of its own mother. No, we kill that and we fight for the right to do it. And we call ourselves wise because of it. And all the time we become more foolish. Paul says we dishonor our bodies between ourselves. He's talking about sex outside of marriage. Whether it be in an affair, whether it be before marriage or outside of it, whatever, it's outside of its intention and its design. Homes are broken because of this. Families are destroyed because of this. Society itself is undermined because of this. Self-esteem, self-image, self-worth are damaged more and more and more each time it's done. Ah, it's not that big a deal, Pastor. Come on is the day we live in. What harm can come from it? How about murder? Not just talking about angry spouses or angry lovers, if you want to call them that. I'm talking about the millions of innocent unborn children who are killed simply because they don't want to deal with the consequences of their actions. They want to make a child. They don't want to raise a child. Paul says we engage in homosexuality. The society goes headlong toward it, going against the design of God. Paul says we worship self, the promotion and celebration of whatever the sick and twisted heart of man can come up with, approving it, supporting it. Listen, I didn't make any of that up. That's Romans 1, verse 18 through verse 32 in a nutshell. You think it applies today? Oh, yeah, it does. You see, history repeats itself. Man is the same. We follow after sin, which takes us away from God because we are under the rule of sin and death. Oh, it's evident. There's no question. Sin rules. And it is oppressive and it is dominant. Sin is a tyrant that will not let you escape its grasp. But while lest we think we are innocent, we choose this each time we sin, don't we? We choose this when we do what God tells us not to do. Oh, there's many today that feel they are freed from anything that would be their master. But yet you see this working out in their lives. All that to say, we need to be freed. We need to be freed. You need to be freed from this. I need to be freed. We need to know the severity of sin and death. That we cannot free ourselves from sin and death Any more than we can free ourselves from gravity. It just ain't gonna happen. I asked this morning, is that you? Is it this morning just sin and after sin after sin in your life? Living separated from God. Or maybe you think yourself a good person. Well, at least I'm better than so-and-so. Well, Romans 2 says, you are excusable, whoever you are that judge, because when you judge another, you condemn yourself. Because you're doing the same things. Listen, it doesn't matter if it's a pagan person who lies or a holy person who lies. A lie is a lie and lie is sin. We need to be freed from it. And listen, this morning you must know there is only one person who frees us. That is Jesus. Again, what does it say in verse 2, Romans 8 and 2? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. It's Christ. It is the life in Christ that sets us free. You see, He did what we could not do. We look at the law of God. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not murder. Shalt not commit adultery. On and on. All of those Ten Commandments. We look at that. We see the holiness of God. And we see our failure to keep it. No one can ever be saved by being good enough. Because we can't. You understand? We can't. But Christ did. See, He came to this earth in a body like ours. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Just like ours, yet without sin. He came to condemn, to conquer sin. And He he did exactly that. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never lied. He never coveted. Never did anything wrong. He did not sin. He alone kept the, the law of God perfectly. And He gives that perfect sinless life as the sacrifice for sin. You see, on that cross there is an exchange made. He takes your sins and He gives His perfect blood to wash it away. In place of your sins, He offers His own righteousness. He died so that we might have life, if you would believe in Him this morning. (laughs) 2 Corinthians says, says this, For He hath made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Christ was made our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He takes my sin, gives me His righteousness. Ephesians 1, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians 2, Even when we were dead in sins, He hath made us alive together with Christ. It's Christ who gives us that life. Only He can do that. No one else can do that. What does Romans 6.23 says? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He alone can set us free from the law that condemns us. He forgives sin and He conquers death. Scriptures, well actually, Jesus Himself says He is the life. He is the bread of life. He is the life that has come into the world That we are to come to Him so that we we might have life. And that life in Him sets us free from the law of sin and death. You see, those that believe in Christ are totally transformed. This is a new change. This is is not just a change of habit. This is not some add-on in your life. Those who come to Christ are a new creation with a new life and a new purpose. You are now free in Him. I don't think we can imagine quite what it would be like because we know nothing about it. But think in, in your mind, if you would, what it would have been like the day the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. The day that slavery in the United States became illegal. Okay? You could not, by law, own a slave or be a slave. And thank God for that, by the way, because it's terrible that that even happened. But think about that change. One day you are under this terrible bondage of slavery and the next you are now free. That's who you are. You are not this old person anymore. You are now free. Declared free by the law. Now that would be wonderful, right? That would be so liberating and you would be so happy. But your life now has to change. You've got to make some changes. You, You don't go back to this house. You don't have to do what that person says. You don't have to do what anybody says anymore. You're a free person. But there would be some changes that would have to take place. Some things you'd have to get used to. You'd have to go get a house and your own land and all of that and all that came with it. There was a change that happened that you would now have to live out. It's the same with salvation. There's a total transformation that takes place and now there are some things in our life that we have to get um, straightened out because we are free. You have to reckon yourself as free. I've been set free from sin. I don't have to obey it anymore. It doesn't have any more control over me. I'm freed. I am free in Christ. That is the dominating force in my life now. It's not sin and death. It's Jesus. It's that life that He has given me. What does it say in the beginning of verse 2? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You could word it this way. For the law of the Spirit, which is life in Christ Jesus. What rules your life now, what influences and drives your identity, is the life that has been given to you in Christ. And far too many of us count it as something that's powerless. Or like, yeah, that's nice. No, 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 no. This means everything for us. You know the word it uses for life, that Paul uses for life, it doesn't mean just have breath. It means to be absolutely full of life. To be active. To be vigorous. Think of the kids when they're running around playing. There, you, there's no doubt that they are alive and that they are loving life, Right? That's the word he uses to describe the life that is within us. It is not dead. It is not dormant. It is the dominating force of our life. We are alive in Christ. Even if sin tries to drag you down, you understand this? Sin's claim over you is gone. Yeah, it might try to drag you down. Yeah, it might try to distract you. You don't have to follow it. You don't have to be controlled by it. The life within you is greater. It's more powerful. The law of sin and death might be powerful, yes. But the law of the Spirit is greater. And we'll never get it right if we don't understand that from the start. Flip back to Romans 6. Just a couple thoughts here and then we'll be... Moving towards an end, okay? Romans chapter 6. We've already been over this, but um, it's good to be reminded. Romans 6 and 11. Romans 6 and verse 11 this morning. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. See that? It's what the Bible says. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. You must reckon yourselves, count it to be true, that ye are dead to sin and alive in Christ. It has to start there. I am dead to the sin that would destroy me. I am dead to the sin that would distract me. The moment we were saved, we were freed from it. When we were baptized, we took, took steps away from it. And each day we are free now to live for Him. Paul says, yeah, there's a battle within me. There's the flesh nature and this new man, but there's no condemnation as I walk after the Spirit, because I am set free from that old man. Christ is greater than our sin. Here's where the last point comes in. I just simply want to read the verse back in Romans 8, verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We can be righteous. We can walk holy, live right before God as we walk spiritually, as we follow the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. We are freed to do that. Jesus says this in John chapter 8. Jesus said to those who believed on Him, If you continue in My word... Then you are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Whosoever commits sin is a servant of sin. But if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We are freed this morning. We are freed from sin. We are alive in Christ. You see, without Christ, when temptation would come, we'd obey it because we are under its rule. Now we have power over that temptation. Now we have power over that distraction through Christ. So what I would simply ask you this morning is, are you free? Are you freed this morning from sin? Free from the oppression of sin and death? Are you free this morning in Christ, and do you know Him as Saviour? If you have not trusted in Him, I pray that you would. To come to Him for forgiveness of sins. To come to Him for an eternal home in heaven. If you were to die this moment, where would you open your eyes? And where would you spend the rest of your eternity? Do you know for a fact this morning that it is heaven? Heaven? Without Christ, we face the judgment and wrath of God for eternity and eternal hell. A place of torment, a place of pain. But those who trust in Christ, those who have faith in Him and trust in Him for salvation, spend forever with Him in heaven. And that is only because of the work that He has done for us. So I would ask this morning, have you placed your faith in Christ? If not, I pray that you would before this service ends. If the Spirit has touched your heart with some of, some of the things we've said today and you know your own sin, you know your own guilt before God, don't ignore it, don't push it away. But instead, I pray that you would bow before Him and confess your sinful condition and ask Him to save you in faith. And when you do that, He will set you free. Maybe some of us who have known Him for a while have gotten a bit distracted. Maybe there's some other things in our life that are prominent. Some other things that might dominate our minds. Bills, schedules, kids, sickness, jobs. They have a way of doing that, don't they? The list can go on and on. We all face different things. Maybe it's even our sins. We focus on that and see how much we have failed. Those can dominate our minds too, right? Maybe it's a lack of doing what we should. We all find ourselves in different places. And maybe we just don't feel alive as we should be. Perhaps it's time this morning to reckon yourself again, dead to sin and alive unto Christ. And I mean fully alive. Life springing up within us. Jesus tells the woman at the well in John chapter 4, That water, that eternal life that I shall give Him shall be in Him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Maybe this morning you just need some water back in the well. A reminder that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Whatever the need this morning is, I pray that you would bring it before the Lord before it's everlasting too late. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your blessing now on this message and things that have gone forth. Lord, if there be one here that does not know you as a personal Savior, that you would show the sin that has separated us from you, Lord, and the guilt that we have for our own sins, and Lord, at the same time that you would point them to your Son who gave his life as the sacrifice for sin, and they would trust in Him before it be eternally too late. Lord, maybe some of us need help this morning, just some encouragement, a fresh new realization that we have been freed in You, Lord. Whatever the needs are, I ask that You draw hearts this morning, and that You would do again the work that only You can do. and We give You glory for all that You will do. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.